Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the James McDonald Podcast, where we say love to live to love. That's our focus, that's our passion, and we invite you to let God's Word have that impact in your life right now. Here's Pastor James. If you know me very well at all, you know how completely unusual it is that I would ever uh, put a Christmas hat on. Um, in fact, we were so crazy in the early days of Harvest when the church was just starting. We, still, we were crazy. We would do things. One year at Christmas, I told a story. Uh, I was so upset about the commercialization of Christmas that I told a story. I came out on the stage. Remember this? I came out on the stage dressed in a full Santa outfit, beard everything, totally Santa to the max, and then I went on this like 10-minute rant about, I, you know, tongue-in-cheek, I can't figure out what's ruining Christmas. Picture me dressed in a whole Santa suit. And I went just nuts. And something is ruining Christmas. And I took off the suit in pieces and I threw it on the ground. And I stamped on it. And it was crazy. And all the parents were like, don't listen to our pastor, son. I guess somehow I didn't figure out about the kids, you know. The kids were like, what, what, what? And I was just trash Santa in front of everybody. And, and, and uh... wow, I thought it would take longer to tell that story than it took. We still have like 40 minutes still. I know, recipes. Let's talk about Christmas recipes for a while. And some great Christmas recipes that people have. And, and, and um, how, how does that sound? Okay, because the thing is, is that I'm sure this probably wasn't the best week for this, but I don't have a sermon. So I was thinking maybe we could set up some microphones or something and people could come forward to the microphones and we, we could all just share like a Christmas memory or... Yeah, I don't know. The week just got away from me and, and um, I'm embarrassed because I've got some of my friends here today for the service and... and um, yeah, right. Open your Bible to Revelation 5. The title, listen, listen. The title of the message today is, tell me. Where would we be without Christmas? All right? Where would we? We'd have nothing to talk about. I'd get up like a doof and I'd be like, um, um, does anyone know any good Christmas recipes? And, and we'd have nothing to talk about if it wasn't for the true meaning of Christmas. Isn't that right? I'd have nothing to say. I'd have no book to hold in my hands. I'd have no message to bring. It'd be a big, colossal waste of time. A celebration with no theme, no purpose, nothing. But we have God's Word. In fact, that's what this passage is about. How the Word is the message of Christmas. Look at Revelation chapter 5. Revelation 5, 1. This is the Word of God. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne... A scroll written, and on the back, sealed with seven, or a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Where would we be without Christmas? Jot this thought down first. Uh, God wants to reveal his word to me. Do you know that? There's a God who made you, who made the universe, who wants to reveal his word to you. 
doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. God wants more than anything else for his word to come alive to you. A man, as I left Elgin this morning, ran uh, to catch up to me. And he said, I've got to tell you a story. And he told me a story of a person that he shared uh, the message of the gospel with this week. And how they had come and said, I don't understand the Bible. It doesn't make sense to me. And within a few moments, they opened their heart to Christ by faith. And all of a sudden, they came alive to the message of the gospel. And, and he said, I could see her eyes opening as God's word was revealed uh, to her. What good news. God wants to reveal his word to you and to me. That's why it says here in the text, do you see it? Then I saw, then I saw, that's kind of a marker in the book of Revelation, 32 times it means a change of scenery. Someone asked me this week, well, what exactly is going on in the book of Revelation when it says that he saw something? What's that talking about exactly when it says, um, he, well, he's seeing a vision is what it is, all right? The book of Revelation is a vision, and he's seeing a vision. It's, it's, he's not uh, smelling anything. He's not touching anything. It's kind of like uh, going to a, a big screen movie. All right? He's not in heaven as he's writing these things down. But it's how many people believe that if God gave a vision, it would be in HD? Right? I'm like wall to wall. Okay, so what he's seeing and hearing, it's very clear to him, but he's not actually there. That's why it says here, look, even in this chapter, verse 1, then I saw, verse 2, and I saw... Verse 6, I saw, verse 13, then I, verse 11, then I looked. Um, and this is what the whole thing's about. He's seeing a vision of heaven. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Then notice, we're just, the next part of the message should be the next few words in the verse, right? This is called Bible teaching. So you're following along in your Bible, right? Then I saw in the right hand of him, in the right hand, God's right hand is a symbol of God's power. Um, Exodus 15, 6 says, Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. God's right hand, look, is, is a symbol of his power. But what's interesting here in this text is uh, the word there, in his right hand, literally means upon the right hand. Here the symbol of God's power is not clenched, but it's open and extended. It's, it's God's right hand is reaching out and it's offering What's he offering? Look at the text again. And I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll. All right? Who was seated on the throne. We learned last week that this is God the Father. Chapter 4, verse 3 describes him on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Now last week when we were studying God's word, we, we uh, came up with a particular a word that we thought was the best summary word for God. And right now, I can't quite seem to, I, it was a word that I suggested was kind of an exclusive word that sort of belonged, it was only appropriate for God. But I just, it's not, what, what was that word again? Awesome. Or, or uh, what we, I think, prefer to say is, is that only God is all right, only God is awesome. That's what we were learning. Other things just pretend to be. And so this awesome God seated on the throne with an open hand, and what's he holding? It says a scroll. Now, New American Standard says a book. Uh, this word is used seven times just in this chapter. Uh, the original is biblion, from which we get our word Bible. It's a book with a, sp uh, and it's not a book with a spine. In the third century, um, 
they uh, didn't have what we have, not till the third century. They didn't, they didn't look like this. They weren't books with a spine and with uh, rectangular pages. Uh, what they had was a scroll, a long piece of papyrus sewn together to make a long, long strip, or maybe with animal skins. And you know, as they say, a picture is worth southern words. So look at this. It kind of looks like this. All right, can you see that? That's kind of a scroll and sort of with two spools and one, uh, you'd roll one this way and one this way and so you could hold the spools fairly close together and move through uh, the parchment. So a first century book is what it is. And in the right of hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll. Notice, written within and on the back. And normally they only wrote on one side of a scroll. But this is God's word, and it is filled to the max. It doesn't need anything else added to it. It doesn't need updating. It doesn't need editing. God filled the parchment front and back, wall to wall, God's word. Uh, and not like a little kid's book, you know, five words in a picture, okay? This is the stuff that God once said, written, and on the back, all around. And then notice, sealed uh, with seven seals. Uh, the seven seals were often used uh, in a legal contract. And what they would do is they would take some wax and they would melt the wax uh, maybe over the ends of the pages as they were rolled or maybe in the actual document itself in a seam and you would open it. Did you ever um, open your report card when it came home before your parents saw it? Like why, right? Like I don't know what's in it. But I just had to see it first and then you try to seal it all up again. Kind of, It's the same with this seal. You didn't ever do that? How many people actually tried to look at the report card ahead of time? Don't leave me up here like that. All right, because true, true. All right, so um, seal, but the, it, just like with an envelope that's already been opened, they would take a piece of wax and melt it, and then they would take their individual signet ring, and they would mark the wax. So if the seal was broken, we can't fix that. And it, it provided security so that it would be opened a chapter at a time, a uh, part at a time, a revelation at a time. And uh, if you look across uh, the page in your Bible into chapter 6, it probably has a title. Uh, it says, The Seven Seals. And so it's interesting. Scholars debate, well, what were these seals exactly? And what, what, what was in this book? Um, some say it was a contract. Some say it was a last will and testament. Some say it was the Lamb's Book of Life. I, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer here, but I'm like, duh, it's what's in chapter 6, 7, and 8. We don't have to wonder what was in the book. They open all the seals and tell us. That's what we're going to be studying in January. All of the, it's, it's a record of the wrath of God coming upon the earth. It's all of the judgments that were about to descend upon mankind. We know what is in it. It's the end of the age and how God ends up winning everything. That's what's coming. And what's really cool about it is, is uh, he doesn't want us to be in the dark about that. I just think for a moment, where would we be without God's word? I mean, what, what would I be talking about today if God didn't write a book? What, what really would we have to share if we didn't have a message from God? Let me go some, through some things and just remind you what we have in God's word. Here's eight things that God's word is to us. Number one, God's word is a fire. Did you know that? God's word is a fire. Jeremiah 5.14 says, because you have spoken this word, I am making my words in your mouth a fire. God's word is a fire. It burns up all the nonsense. 
God's word is the thing. If you look at your life and you think you got some things in your life that kind of have needed to go, you know what I'm talking about? And, and God's word is a fire that consumes the dross. It burns away all the parts of us that ought to go. God's word's a fire. God's word is a sword. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says that the word of God is uh, uh, living and powerful, sharper than any sword. God's word is what gets to the heart of the matter. That's why you can, listen, your head can be spinning, you can be thinking all kinds of nonsense, and you can come to harvest, and you're not gonna get some felt need talk about blah, blah, blah. We're just gonna get the sword out, baby, because that gets to the heart of the matter, all right? And, and God's word is a sword. It pierces to the big issues of life, separating, separating, and getting right at it. God's word is a fire, it's a sword. God's word is a hammer. Jeremiah 23, 29 says, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Now how many people here uh, this morning are, 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 how many people are stubborn? Super. How many people here this morning are stubborn? I'm not putting my hand up, man. How many people here this morning are stubborn? What I'm trying to say is, how many people here this morning are stubborn? Right. Fine, fine, I'll put my hand up. Right. My point exactly. Now, what, what deals with that? What, what gets to my stubbornness? God says, is not my word like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? And if you can look to a time in your life when you were stiff and stubborn and resistant, even you didn't even like it about yourself. God's word is the thing that breaks down that stubbornness. It's a fire, a sword, a hammer. It's seed. One of the great joys of my life is to stand before you all every week and see the seed sprouting. and see it in your eyes. Peter said... First Peter 1 Peter 1.23, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. God words a seed, and once it gets into the soil of your heart, once you let it in, it, it grows up and produces something awesome. You'll look back on your life and go, how did I ever get along without that word? It's a fire, a sword, a hammer, a seed. It's milk. First Peter 2.2, 2, as newborn babes, Desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow. I was holding our little grandbaby Carter in my arms this week, and man, does that kid want the bottle or what? He so wants it, and nasty me, of course, I'll take it out of his mouth, and he's like, and then give it back to him again. It's kind of fun to see him like, I gotta have that. And it just reminded me of this, you know, as, as, as believers, um, we, we, we are to have that, that hunger for the word of God that feeds us. There's no faith without God's word. But it's not just milk. God's word is meat. Hebrews chapter five says, by uh, now uh, you ought to be uh, eating meat, but you still need milk. Uh, not the meat of God's word. That's one of the reasons why we're going verse by verse by verse through the book of Revelation uh, this year. It's, it's uh, not what you wake up every day thinking you need, but you don't always know what you need. All right. What we really need is our minds washed and renewed by the word of God. And so we're going to go through this challenging book all the way through, uh, God willing, next summer. That'll be meat. Fire, sword, hammer, seed, milk, meat, two more. God's word is a light. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When I don't know where to go, 
when I don't know what to do, when I don't know how to get back, when I don't know how to get ahead, I need to open God's word and let it be a light to my path. You walk in the darkness, you're gonna stub your toe, bad. God's word is a light. And lastly, God's word is a mirror. James chapter one talks about looking intently into the mirror of God's word. And uh, you know, I don't know, did you look in the mirror this morning? Did you look in the mirror this morning? And the thing is, you come to church, and you're like, I, I, got, I got it. I got it. I got it. Let's go to church. And then the mirror of God's words held up to you, and you're like, ah! I don't got it. I got room to grow. I got things to work on. How's this past year been for you in regard to God's word? God wants to reveal his word to me. You've got to get hold of this. As you think about next year and you think about you want to lose some weight, you want to get in shape, you want to expand your business, you want to lower your handicap, you want to raise your bowling average, you want to finish your basement, all that stuff's going to take work. And if you want your faith to go forward, if you want your life to go forward, make plans to expand your exposure to the word of God. God wants to reveal his word to me. Got it? All right, pet peeve. How many people have pet peeves? Pet peeve, here's one. People who don't want to answer questions. That bugs me. Like, want an example? Yeah. Say, give us an example. Here's one. Like when you go to the toll booth and you say to the guy, how long till the next exit? And he's like, well, that depends. I was like, uh, depends on what? He said, it depends how you get there. I'm like, I think I'll take a car. He said, well, it depends how fast you go. I said, well, no kidding. Supposing I drive the speed limit, how long will it take to get to the next exit? He's like, truck speed limit or car speed limit? I'm in a car. He's like, well, you could run out of gas. I said, I'm gonna run over you. He's like, answer the question, what is your problem? Or, 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 worse, worse, how about the workman who comes to your house? And before he starts the work, you wanna know what? Thank you, how much is this gonna cost? But can he give you a straight answer? I uh, know he cannot. Uh, sir, how much will this work cost? He said, well, that depends on how long it's gonna take. Right, I thought that was what you're supposed to know. He's like, well, you know, I'll have to get into the work for a while before I can really give you an estimate. What, what? Just start with this, $100 or a million dollars? Just put it in there for me somewhere. He's like, well, I'll have to see. It really bugs me when people won't answer your question, you know? And, and uh, so all that to say that, that God is the opposite of that. God's not sneaky or underhanded. He wants you to know. He doesn't want you walking in darkness. That's what the first Christmas was all about. Turn the lights on, all right? And, and, and God sent his son uh, God, who in many ways and in many times has spoken to us through many prophets, Hebrews says, has in these last days spoken to us in his son. God's like, that's what I want to say. That's everything I have to say. My son, Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, everything is all there for you. This is good news. God wants to make, God wants to reveal his word to me. Back to Revelation 5. Here's the second thing, though. No one is worthy to reveal it. Do you understand that? No one is worthy to reveal the word of God. Look at verse two. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. 
Um, by, by the way, apparently there's a ranking among angels. Did you know that? I did not know that. Did you know that there was a ranking among angels? Apparently, for regular jobs, he sends regular angels. That's what, we're all pretty regular here. That's what we would, just turn to your name and say, you're regular. All right, so we, that, if we were angels, that's the job we would get to do. We'd get to do like a regular angel job. But apparently, like in Revelation chapter 10, uh, verse 1, it says, then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. Chapter 18, uh, verse 21 also says a mighty angel. And here in this text, we see some of your translations have strong or, and I, so apparently this is like, buckle your seatbelts, boys. Um, this is not a regular job. We're sending a mighty angel for this. Actually, the book of Jude tells us that uh, when Michael the archangel was sent on a mission that actually Satan and his demons resisted him and there was a spiritual battle going on in the mission for which God sent him. So if God wants something big done, he says, sends a mighty angel. Verse two, and I saw a strong or a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice. I like that. That's the, uh, the word in the original there is the word to preach, keruso, to herald, to public, publicly pronounce. And by the way, um, um, you go to a church where the preacher's fired up, all right? So sometimes I'm gonna raise my voice because every time in the Bible there's something really important, the person who's saying it isn't like, some people like, I like going to the church where the preacher never raises his voice. Well, this is a bad place for you then, okay? Because <laughs> I'm fired up about what we're talking about here and sometimes I get a little excited about it, so deal with that. And, and so with a loud voice, he's like, listen up, look up here. Not actually do it, but that's what he's saying. You actually look down at verse 2 where he says, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, here it is, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? We're not going to hear what God has to say unless we can find someone worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. Let's talk for a minute about the word worthy because it's all through chapter four and chapter five of Revelation, and uh, it's a very, very important word. Uh, it means literally, it's the idea of having the weight. And this is a scale here, and on this side of the scale I have uh, the oldest Bible uh, in my office. This is a really cool Bible. It was given by a man to his wife, Mrs. Green, uh, for Christmas, 1859. And in the book, I have both his and her uh, obituary from many years later. But more than 150 years ago, this was the Christmas present. Isn't it awesome to think about God's word and the impact it was making on people's lives through the centuries? So here we have a revelation from God. And, and in order to find someone worthy to open it, the word worthy means literally having the weight. You think about how much God's word, the weight that God's word has. We can't have any lightweight showing up to open this revelation. It has to be someone who's worthy. It has to be someone who has the weight. Now, God's tried to give this job to a lot of messengers. And uh, Adam, how did he make out? Uh, everyone say, not great. He plunged us all into sin. He's out. Then uh, Noah. Noah. How did Noah do bringing God's word to us? drunk in his tent. He had some faith, but, but not worthy to bring this final revelation. Uh, Abraham? Yeah, Hagar, the concubine, lying. It was, it was, it was okay. Uh, Samson? Yeah, yeah, Samson. Not great. Sensual, no self-control. He can't bring God's word. Uh, Samuel? Uh, dig into that text. Samuel was tolerant of disobedience and... Uh, for sure out. Uh, David? 
David, adultery, murder, for real, not him. Uh, Solomon, uh, wise, wise, unbelievably wise. Read Ecclesiastes, very messed up. Materialistic, confused, sensual, Solomon's out. Isaiah, uh, discouraged. Uh, He looks very discouraged until you get to Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, for real. And then Elijah, totally depressed, you know, so down in the dumps about everything. Jonah, on the run. We could go through the whole Bible. Look, look, look. Uh, Notice what it says in the text. Who is worthy to open it? Verse 3, and no one in heaven, no angels, or on earth, we just went through all those messengers, and, and uh, we're like them. Everyone say we're like them. We're like them. Not us, for sure. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, that means no one living, no one dead, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. No one. Now think with me about this for a minute. God wants to reveal his word to us and no one is worthy to reveal it without Christmas. No one. How dark would be the darkness if there was no word of God? I want you just to think about that for a minute. If we didn't know jack about anything, nothing, no clue, just The people living in darkness, Isaiah 9, are still in a great darkness. No one worthy to open the scroll. Christmas without Christ would be an extravagant party of total emptiness. No theme, no purpose. God wants to reveal his word to me. No one is worthy to reveal it. Here's where the text goes. Look at verse four and jot this down. I desperately need God's word revealed. Oh, if every person here today could get to the place where you could say this from your heart, I desperately need God's word revealed. I am lost and wandering in the dark and I need someone to turn the light on. I need God's word revealed to me John understood this. Notice verse four. No one was found in heaven or earth to open the scroll or look into it. Verse four, and I began to weep. I began to weep. Not a child crying, but an adult. Children cry quite a bit. But this is an adult crying. And not a woman crying. Women, thankfully, a little more in touch with their emotions, a little more able to express what they're feeling. Not a child crying, but an adult. Not a woman crying, but a man crying over the absence of God's word. I desperately need God's word revealed. He says, and I began to weep. And not a little bit of weeping. Notice in the text, and I began to weep loudly. The Greek there is a bit difficult to understand. Is it talking about the quantity of the weeping? Um, How long it went on or the degree of it? How, How intensely he was not just tearing up a little bit, but actually sobbing about the absence of God's word. New American Standard translates it greatly, which is intensity. New King James translates it, I began to weep much, which is an enduring weeping that won't stop. NIV translates it, I wept and wept. 
talking about it, just, I just couldn't stop. I just couldn't stop. The tears just kept coming as I thought about life without God's word revealed. John was a fisherman who followed. He was an apostle who loved. He was a preacher who built the church. He was a soldier who, who marched to the very end. When John is seeing this vision, all the other apostles are dead. He's the last living one. They were all martyred, and he's living in exile. Wow. Bottom line, this is a very intense bursting forth of unrestrained grief. Another thing that John had done was, John was an author of Scripture. It's kind of cool. Uh, the person who's seeing this, this is not new for him. Uh, he wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the three, we studied First John last year. He wrote the three epistles. Now he's in his early 90s, and do you know the Bible doesn't really tell us very much about how the Bible came? We don't really know. We know 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture is inspired by God. It's God-breathed. It's theopneustos. Somehow God breathed the words that he wanted into the human authors in a way that didn't contradict their personalities. Paul writes like a lawyer, and John writes like a lover, and Peter writes like uh, uh, all over the place, and then this, and then this. That's how Peter writes, just like they were. But somehow every word they wrote was exactly what God wanted said. But we really don't know how this happened. Uh, Second Peter says, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. They wrote down, but we don't know how it happened. I think we might be learning, I would suggest we might be learning right here. Maybe they actually saw a vision. Maybe what John's, maybe what John's weeping about is, is he's just like, one more time, God. Just one more time before I die. Let me get in the zone. I mean, because I'm thinking if you're writing down God's word and being God-breathed, I'm thinking you probably have a sense of something pretty awesome happening, don't you think? So, so maybe he's like, just one more time. Just one more time before I go. Let me be the person who writes down the final revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me be that guy. And, and, and he's, so when he thinks about it, it's not going to happen that no one's worthy. He's, he knows he's not worthy. He knows that the Son through the Spirit needs to reveal this content. Shattering to think that God had a word written, but that it would not be revealed. Now all that, listen, we gotta come back to this in the church. We gotta come back to this reverence and respect for the word of God. Do you know that through the centuries, some churches had in their tradition, imagine this in our church, that before the worship service started, the the ministers would walk in and they would hold the word of God over their heads. And they would walk up onto the platform as the people watched. And then they would take the book and open it there in front of everyone to show, listen, reverence and respect for, how, how many Bibles do you have? Like I think I got like nine because I, I have one in my nightstand and I got one on my desk and I got one in my glove compartment and I got a red one in my purse, the purse that I always bring out at Christmas. And, and is it possible that somehow in the availability of God's word that we have lost the reverence for it? I mean, how awesome that we all have a copy of God's word in our hands. This was not so in centuries gone by. There was one scroll. It was at the temple or the place of worship. Now we all have one. Have we become overly familiar? Nothing else can penetrate the darkness in a human heart. 
but the word of God. If you're going to be sharing with some relatives this Christmas, if, get the word of God out, all right? 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. If you're here today and in your heart, your arms are folded, all right? You, you think you're making some big decision? Satan himself blinds the minds of those who don't believe. And only the word of God can penetrate that blindness. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that the natural man... Uh, the unconverted person cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God, that it's foolishness to him. And if it's foolishness to you, it's because you're blinded to the reality that it is. Now, what's going to penetrate that? You know, some cool, it just grieves me to see what people do in their churches over the Christmas. Slick, entertaining, programming, trying to, to, to do what? Only the Word of God can penetrate the darkness in the human heart. Nothing can, else can penetrate. Nothing else can power the process of sanctification. After you give your life to Christ, how do you get changed? As a follower of Christ, we all need to change. You need to change. You need to change. We all need to change. How's that going to happen? Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. All right? Only God's word can do this. Nothing else can penetrate the darkness in the human heart. Nothing else can power the process of sanctification. Nothing else can provide comfort for us when we're afflicted. What can comfort other than the word of God? The best thing you can do to a friend who's discouraged is find a verse and send it to them. Everything else, button it. They need a word from God. They need to hear something that they can get their feet on, solid ground. Back in 1988, June of 1988, I was on, in seminary and I was on staff at uh, Arlington Heights Evangelical Free Church. It's a good church. And uh, the pastor had left. Ted Olson had gone to Trinity to be a professor, and we didn't have a pastor. And a few times I was privileged to fill the pulpit, but mostly we had guests come in. Father's Day, 1988, I sat about three rows from the back. I could take you to the place where I wept through the whole service. As the guest speaker came in uh, to speak on Father's Day, never opened a Bible, never mentioned Jesus Christ. There was a book that had come out from Bill Cosby uh, called Fatherhood, and it was funny. And by the way, do I like funny stuff? I mean, how many people think I like to laugh? I love to laugh, as long as there's a point to it. But I would never just stand up here and entertain you with funny stories. For, and I sat there through this Bill Cosby monologue, honestly, and I just wept. And I walked to my car, I got out during the closing prayer and I got in the car with Kathy, what's wrong, she said. And I just hung my head and I wept all the way as we drove back up to Deerfield where we lived. Three months later we started Harvest. And I was like, I can't do that. I just, I can't, how, could, how could we have a place? And of course they were just as grieved as we are. Colin Smith is the pastor there today. He's a wonderful Bible teacher there. It's a great, great church. That was a life-changing moment for me on this point. I desperately need God's word revealed. You desperately need God's word revealed. We desperately need God's word revealed. So here's the good news. Ready for the good news? Jesus Christ is the revelation of God's word to me. Jesus Christ. The only person who is worthy to open the scroll is, tell me the answer is? Who can open the scroll? Right, so he's the only one who has the weight to open the book. He's the only one who has the authority 
to reveal God's word to me. All human messengers are imperfect. But Jesus Christ and him alone has the authority to open God's word to me. Now look at the text and see why I'm saying that. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, we learned last week about the elders. Do you remember chapter 4? Around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders. We learned last week that uh, the elders are the representatives of all believers from all time. Maybe the 12 patriarchs and the 12 apostles, maybe, I don't know. But just 12, uh, 24 believers representing all of us, enjoying their reward, clothed in white garments, seated on thrones, crowns on their heads. And one of them gets up, and one of the elders, this is the job, this is, I want this job. Because there's, picture the scene. Jesus Christ, God the Father on the throne, there's the scroll, who's worthy to open it? No one was found worthy to open it. And one of the elders says, John's there sobbing. It's not gonna happen, we're not gonna know. It's in there, it's right there, we can find it, it's right there, but no one can open it. And this elder stands up and he's like, weep no more, no more of that here. Everyone stop crying. This is, I totally want that job. Behold, again introducing surprise into the text, 26 times in the book of Revelation. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Jesus Christ is the revelation of God's word to me. Those two terms there, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. It's interesting, keep your finger there, we're almost done. Keep your finger there in Revelation 5 and go back from the last book of the Bible to the first book of the Bible and see this here, Genesis 49. All of God's promises came through God's people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. The Messiah was gonna be born to one of the lines of his 12 sons. And Jacob at the end of his life, Genesis 49, called his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, that God had changed his name. That's Jacob, but the nation, he changed his name to Israel. Listen to your father. So here comes the firstborn. He's like, I'm gonna get everything, I'm the firstborn. It's all gonna be for me. Reuben is the firstborn, Genesis 49.3. You are my firstborn, my might, and first fruits of my strength, etc. But verse four, you can kind of see Reuben hanging his head. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence. And then he lists his moral failing and going up to his father's servants and sleeping with them. Sexual sin and its judgment. So then the, uh, the next two brothers are like, hey, maybe we're in. Simeon and Levi. And he says to them, weapons of violence are their swords. Verse six, in their anger they killed men. Their willfulness. Verse seven, cursed be their anger for it is fierce. No, not them. Verse eight, we're down to the fourth son. Judy, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down to you. And then he says, Judah is a lion's club, cub. That's where it comes from the tribe of Judah. The lion of the tribe of Judah is Jesus. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. 
Verse 10 is the prophecy. See, I wrote right here in my Bible beside this. This is a prophecy concerning Jesus. Jesus is a descendant from Judah. That's why it says, for example, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 2, just listen to this. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah. Just skipped all the other brothers, tracing the lineage of Jesus Christ. Genesis 49, 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Scepter is a symbol of royalty. Nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of all the peoples. That's awesome, isn't it? That's why, back to Revelation 5, no one was found worthy to open it. Weep no more. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, David was also a descendant of Judah, has conquered. That's a reference to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has conquered. He can open the scroll and its seven seals. All right? Look up here now. That's the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is is that God wanted his word revealed. He wanted it revealed. He wanted you to know. He didn't want you to be confused about what roads lead to happiness and what roads lead to misery. He didn't want you to be confused about the past or the present or the future. God wanted the light turned on. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, as the light of the world. Last verse. Isaiah chapter 9 says, this is also a great Christmas passage. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has, has a light shone. Verse 6, for unto us a child is born, a son is given. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. All right? That's the word of God. You know, Michael Card has come and sung here a lot of times. And one of the songs that he sang here many years ago is a favorite of mine, a Christmas song, the title of a whole CD, Final Word. I don't know if you remember that song. The words are, you and me, we use so many clumsy words. The noise of what we often say is not worth being heard. When the Father's wisdom wanted to communicate his love, he spoke it in one final perfect word. He spoke the incarnation, and so was born the Son. His final word was Jesus. He needed no other one. Spoke flesh and blood so he could bleed and make a way divine. And so was born the baby who would die to make it mine. Let's pray. Father, today we uh, thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that it is your heart to reveal yourself. We do pause to reflect about what our world would be like and what our family would be like and what our life would be like without your word. And we stir up within our hearts, and you stir up within our hearts, a sense of gratitude. Thank you for your written word. Thank you for the living word that makes the written word known. The Bible is the written word of God. It tells about the living word of God. 
the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Thank you, Father, for that. Causing our church, cause the word of God to be respected and revered. Causing our families, cause the word of God to be held up. Fathers reading the Christmas story. Parents pausing before the presents are open to recognize the Savior who is celebrated by the reading of the Word of God. And us in our own lives anticipating a new year and contemplating what it will mean to go deeper into your Word. Make us the one who would weep at the prospect of the Word of God not being known. I want to be like that. Make me like that. This I pray in the strong name of Jesus. Say it. Amen. 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 So I hope that you've been really encouraged today through this clear teaching from God's Word. I just want to thank you from the whole team for listening to the James McDonald podcast, where the learning is for loving, loving God and for loving others more and more until we see him face to face. Thank you for standing with us. Your prayerful support is our lifeline to continue this gospel partnership, and it makes podcasts like these possible. If you're not part of a vibrant, life-giving gospel church, check out this new alternative. It's called the Home Church Network. You can get it at homechurchnetwork.global. All the ministry information, Bible teaching, and and resources are there, and also at jamesmcdonaldministries.org. Hey, thank you again for listening.